How do I do intros again? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Michigan Murders. I'm Laura. And I'm Stephanie. And it's been a while. Yeah, quite a while. Yeah. Actually, no, we've been recording so many episodes that... Just yeah, never just got posted. couldn't keep up. Couldn't keep up. Like the the one about the thing and and the guy in the place. Yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. That was a crazy. And then episode. that that lady that was there. Yeah. Oh my oh, goodness. Oh, she was shady. <laughs> <laughs> Life happened, but I I'm recording today from my uh, tiny house office that I now have. And I'm in my room that is filled with laundry that needs to be put away and a bed I would like to be sleeping on right now. <laughs> I I think you I think you go first. I can. That's not an issue. We're, yeah, I definitely we'll, can. We'll go with okay. that. It's your turn. <laughs> Yeah, even if we're not, we're doing it this way, so that's great. Welcome (laughs) to episode 21, we think. Uh. We think, you know, somewhere in there, a little spice. Um, So today I have John Eric Armstrong. Um, John was born on November 23, 1973, in New Bern, North Carolina. Growing up, his father abused John and his mother, even sexually abusing him. Oh. In 1978, John's two-month-old brother, Michael, died of sudden infant death syndrome, also known as SIDS. The death of Michael really took a toll on John, and at age five, he rode his bike into traffic because he had said he wanted to be with his baby brother. Oh my gosh. Four months after his brother died, his father left him and his mother to be with another woman in Georgia, leaving before they could even buy a grave marker. Wow. Yeah. It, the, he really fucked him up. Yeah. John did not receive treatment for his grief until 1989. And a year after that, he was hospitalized after he locked himself in a bathroom because a girl at his school was pressuring him to have sex with her. In childhood, he never wanted to be known as John, as it was a name he shared with his abusive father and stopped using the name in order to separate himself from his father. He began being known as Eric to family and friends. When arrested, he was even wearing a tan shirt with Eric written across it. After high school, John worked for several months at a grocery store before enlisting in the Navy in 1992 and leaving the following year. John worked as a ship's serviceman on the USS Nimitz from 1993 through 1999, where he received two good conduct medals, each medal representing three to four years of honorable service. While on the Nimitz, John took required safety education classes, including one that warned against soliciting prostitutes. I mean, you gotta, you gotta warn against those. Uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He ended up meeting Katie Renoskia, a former, sorry for any names that might be done incorrectly. I'm trying. (laughs) a former swimmer and graduate of Dearborn High School, who he then married in 1998. They ended up having two children together. Now, this is where it starts getting interesting. Armstrong told Detroit police that he had strangled five Detroit area prostitutes and earlier killed 11 other prostitutes while he was active duty. 
Damn it. Warning about prostitutes does not mean to murder them. I think he got, his, like, correct, cool, correct. got the signals crossed there. Com- completely different. <laughs> he told them his anger stemmed from a high school girlfriend who spurned him after another guy plied her with gifts. Jennifer Bailey, a clinical psychologist, said that he told her he saw his birth father's face superimposed on the faces of the prostitutes. Um, what? <laughs> this is where it gets a little weird for me, because I'm like, you say that, but you but you did sleep with them. Yeah. So if you saw... It's I mean, I mean, I could mm. guess if, I guess the, the issues from his, his father, like sexually abusing him maybe that's what it was i don't know we can one can only guess i guess yeah and i'm gonna i'm gonna assume your source is older (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) right yeah this was where i was going off it definitely does not say sex workers it it everything that i read was just straight prostitutes it was the time that was the verbiage Only five of the murders in the Detroit area have been confirmed, and police in other jurisdictions have yet to attach him to other deaths. Investigators are trying to connect him to unsolved murders in cities in which the USS Nimitz docked from 93 until he was discharged in 99. The Nimitz was in Hawaii twice during those years, 1993 and 1996. The 93 stop was one day, and the 96 stop was four days. Honolulu police have investigated unsolved murders for those years, but none match the profile of Armstrong's victims. The only local case with a similar victim profile was that of a stripper who was found dead in her Waikiki apartment in November of 94. Lisa Fricasi, 36, was found in her Nahua Street apartment with injuries to her neck. She was a dancer at what was then known as Exotic Paradise on Kiamoku Street, but there is no evidence linking him to Hawaii in 94, and some investigators believe that John may be exaggerating his confession, although it is also possible that he could think that he killed women who he in fact left unconscious but not dead. Hmm. John was arrested around 12.30 a.m. on Wednesday, April 12, 2000, on Michigan Avenue, Lund. Uh, Lanyo on Detroit's southwest side, an area of Detroit that is frequented by sex workers, his target. Assistant Police Chief Marvin Winkler said basically he told us he either killed or tried to kill every prostitute he ever had sex with. And he expressed remorse several times and was crying like a baby. The investigation began when police found the bodies of three strangled Sex workers, Rosemary Felt, 32, Kelly Hood, 34, Robin Brown, 20, in a railroad yard in Detroit on April 10, 2000. They had been placed there over the past month. The first murder that police believe is linked to him occurred in 1992 in North Carolina. So, a lot of linking between North Carolina and Michigan. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The trial took two weeks in March of 2001, where John Eric Armstrong was convicted of first-degree murder for the death of Wendy Jordan, a Detroit sex worker, he told police that he found Wendy's body half-naked in the Rouge River in January of 2000. She had been strangled. 
he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So he said that he found the body, but like none of that makes sense though. Yeah. John showed zero emotion and sat completely still as the verdict was read. His family left the courtroom quickly without commenting and his attorney said that he plans to file a motion to set aside the jury's decision. Katie Armstrong, his wife, said that he couldn't have killed Wendy Jordan because he had left their home only brief briefly that day to buy cold medicine. But police and prosecutors say that he had sex with Wendy and killed her and dumped her in a river, saying that he did in fact confess. So, I don't know. I, there was only so much that I could find on this case. But it does seem interesting because they could only find five murders exactly. I mean, that still puts him in a serial killer position. Yeah. Um, but he had said he had done 11 more. They just can't seem to connect any. Oh. That's messed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just, I don't know. His father really did a number on him. Yeah, it's awful. And then his dad just got to skip town and start a new family and yeah which obviously does not excuse the things that he has done oh no, no. i want to preface <laughs> this by saying that it definitely doesn't excuse anything but you can see where issues started <laughs> like by how they were raised you can definitely see oh okay so that's where this began you know yeah there's a lot of trauma there yeah. So, so this is another UP old school one because apparently they're my favorite. Um, <laughs> and this name got me and I couldn't really get for sure why he was called this. But Arthur Robert Gypsy Bob Harper. I'm, I'm guessing it had something to do with his looks. I don't know. So Gypsy Robert just didn't sound as good, I guess. So he was a tattooed bank robber. Born in 1882, his father was a respected Philadelphia police officer. Not much is known about his mother, but when Harper was a teenager, she was sent to prison for murder. So murdering mother, police officer father. He followed right. in his mother's footsteps, I guess. Yeah. Definitely. Harper's criminal escapades made him almost legendary, and a lot of stories have been told about him. One story was that Harper was born while his mother was in prison, which wasn't true since he was a teenager when his mother was sentenced. But since it sounded so interesting, many journalists published it without looking into it. You know, excellence in journalism. Yeah. <laughs> but for the time, uh, news was slow. <laughs> And I imagine they just ran with what they had. Yeah. After his mother was sent to prison, his father was left to raise Harper, but had little luck in raising him on his own since he had already been a teenager. And when Harper was of age, his father convinced him to join the Navy. Harper enlisted, but was kicked out for nonconformity and rejecting rules. That'll do it. That will do it. So, you know, where was dad? before mom killed someone and went to prison yeah it's a little late by then to get a kid <laughs> in order 
Harper's body was said to be the most tattooed man in all of Michigan's prisons. Even his face was tattooed with a star on his forehead. And at five foot seven, 147 pounds, he hardly looked like a hardened criminal, uh, but he was. Since he murdered, robbed banks, and took what he wanted. And by the time he was 19, he was a hardcore criminal. I did put it in my story and just completely forgot about it because I started writing this in March. (laughs) And I didn't reread it until now. So, Harper West tattooed, uh, just dark skin, dark black hair, and he got the name Gypsy Bob from his nomadic life. So, although his home base was in Detroit, he wandered around the country committing crimes and working as a tattooist. One of Gypsy Bob's earliest brushes with the law was in 1899 in Binghamton, New York, when he was 19. A series of home invasions, with homeowners being brutally beaten, spread terror throughout the rural community. Um, Gypsy Bob was arrested on suspicion of committing these crimes, but he was never proven guilty and was released. Now, these crimes, he... um, Yes, they say he did, but wasn't like fully convicted for. The Harris family was attacked. Um, tie he tied up and beat the father and son, mm. and raped the mother and the daughter in front of the family. Oh God! And then another family that same year um, killed the son and raped and attempted to kill the mother. So that's what, yeah, that's what they're saying. They think he did, but it it's not. No, a for sure thing. So the following year, he was arrested for nearly killing a grocer in a holdup in St. Louis, Illinois. For that one, Harper was convicted and sent to a Southern Illinois uh, penitentiary where he escaped and eluded capture for some time. By then, burglaries were kind of the what he was known for in his life of crime. Right. So for the most part, he was a loner. However, that changed when he went to Detroit. In 1918, Gypsy Bob assembled a group of five thugs in Detroit and began a succession of bank robberies. This lasted close to a year before he was again caught and sent to Jackson Prison. And because of his lifestyle, Gypsy Bob unsurprisingly had problems with his police officer father. The surprise, well in surprise. Yeah, shocking. <laughs> While in Jackson prison, his father wrote a letter to the warden that said, As I am the father of Arthur Harper, I do not understand why you gentlemen show any mercy to such characters. Wow. (laughs) Quite the dad of the year, huh? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Seems like he needs a medal, eh? (laughs) Harper even had trouble getting along with his friends. Former member of Harper's gang and fellow inmate Roman Kubiak fought with Harper and they became enemies. So, in a strange turn, they scheduled a duel to the death. (laughs) That's done a lot in the early 1900s. Right. The duel. Um, Their weapons of choice weren't mentioned, but the duel was supposed to take place while the two were still in prison. However, one day, Before the scheduled duel, Harper jumped Kubiak from behind in the mess line and fatally stabbed him. While dying, Kubiak called Harper a sneak and said the only way he could get me is from behind. 
and that's what I want to make a that's what she said joke. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was holding back. I was holding back. <laughs> I was like, not the time, Stephanie. Not the time. It's the t- it's always the time. It's always the time. <laughs> we make jokes when we're uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> this is the way. Yeah. And I can also throw a Mandalorian joke in there too. Uh, <laughs> with an already stupidly long criminal history list, Harper now had a prison murder added to the list. With that murder, Gypsy Bob would spend the remainder of his life in prison. After the Jackson prison murder, he was sent to Marquette Branch Prison, a remote prison in the Upper Peninsula, where he would spend the next 34 years. As a surprise to, I'm sure, anyone who knew him, Harper adjusted well to the new home in Marquette Prison. Harper was put in the outside trustee division, where he was given limited privileges and was also a role model for new younger offenders coming into prison. He worked in the library found spirituality and was frequently seen carrying his bible shocking they always seem to find god once they're in there and it's too late (laughs) oh don't worry it doesn't last (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) of course of course it does (laughs) on december 11th 1921 gypsy bob harper and two other inmates unleashed a rain of bullshit on marquette prison Harper was upset with the new warden, T.B. Catlin, because he had taken away some privileges Harper had been granted under the previous warden. So like a spiritual man of God, Harper decided to kill Catlin in the prison movie theater. But of course, there there it is. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> I have found the Lord. Whoops, you've upset me. Now you must die. <laughs> Oopsie daisies. <laughs> My bad, folks. My bad. Back back to God. Back to God. <laughs> he must have been stuck in the Old Testament. <laughs> okay, right. Right. All smiting and didn't get to the New the new Testament about turning the other cheek. He didn't get that far <laughs> in his reading, apparently. <laughs> Not quite made it yet. Nope. On a Sunday afternoon, Warden Catlin and Deputy Warden Menet... Men, Menhenet, Menhenet, I don't know. I'm just nodding along like, yep, yeah. as if I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that one. I couldn't tell you if that's correct or not. Um, they sat near the front of the theater, which previously was the prison chapel. Maybe that's why he turned from God. The prison chapel was turned to a movie theater. There we go. <laughs> so during the film... Harper snuck from the back of the theater to the front until he approached Catelyn, at which time he stabbed him and attacked Meninet. Men, yeah, I'm just going with that one. Who attempted to intervene. Meninet's son, who was a prison guard, was sitting nearby and also tried to help, only to be stabbed in his lung. Harper was joined by his two other prisoner friends, I guess, Jasper Perry and Charles Roberts, who continued to attack Manette and his son. It makes me wonder if it's Manetti. Sorry. Tracking. M-E-N-H-E-N-N-E-T-T. Oh. Manhetti? Man- Man- yeah. Okay, Man- you're right. Maybe Man- it's Manette. Manhenette? I don't know. Yeah. So, lights were turned on, and there's 400 inmates also running around the theater. So it's chaos. 
Um, Straight chaos. Yeah. Catelyn was seriously wounded, but managed to escape Harper. Charles Anderson, one of the guards on duty, gave the warden his cane to fight off his attackers, but it wasn't much help. Catelyn ran down a flight of stairs, only to have Harper follow him. He managed to stagger into the deputy's office and barricaded himself by putting his feet against the door. Prison guard Charles Muck was alerted to the attack and rushed into the deputy's office where he found Catelyn on the floor and his attackers at the door. Muck commanded Gypsy Bob and his cohorts to back off, and Muck was joined by an inmate, Tofi Leon, who also had a gun, according to the story. Um, hmm. Slightly concerned how an mm-hmm. inmate got a gun during right, essentially right. a riot, but... You know. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Probably stolen off one of the guards, but that's still very concerning. It's like, you can help. Here you go. Okay. Um, <laughs> so Harper, Perry, and Roberts were then herded by gunpoint into the West Wing where they were locked in. Menonette died the day after the attack because initially they thought his wounds were not as serious as Catelyn's. He was sent home where he died within 24 hours. So they must not have real. Uh, Lung? I mean, collapse? I mean, yeah, back then, you know, medical practices were vastly different. Yeah. I mean, as much as I want to say they're a lot better now, in a lot of ways, they're not. But at least now we'd be able to see, oh, okay, there's a puncture there. Back then it was probably more difficult to find. Yeah. I'm assuming. I'm I'm guessing so. (laughs) I mean, Upper Peninsula, early 1900s. Yeah. Yeah. Catelyn, who had been sent to the hospital, was recovering over the next month and seemed to be doing better. However, he died 45 days after the attack on January 26th from a heart attack. It was speculated that the cause was due to the fact that Catelyn went back to work before he was fully recovered. Harper heard the official cause of death and protested that he would be tried for murder. State authorities corrected the problem by changing the death certificate to death by knife wounds versus the coronary occlusion it was originally. However, the state came to the conclusion that it wouldn't be worth trying to prosecute men who were already serving life sentences and a trial would be a waste of time and money. Despite that, the inmates did face retribution for inciting insurrection in a prison Harper, Perry, and Roberts were subjected to flogging, where the prisoner was placed over a barrel, covered with a brine-soaked sheet, and then whipped with a thick leather paddle. Sounds painful. Harper and Perry were each subjected to 30 lashes, while Roberts received 25. I don't know how that is proper punishment. I'm sorry. For killing someone. Yeah. Like, and back in the early 1920s and early 1900s, it's not like at that point in time, the death pen- penalty was eradicated in any way. Like, I'm shocked that they would be like, oh, you know, it, it's no, it's no, no reason in taking care of this. Yeah. Yeah. That one prison guard died from the yeah. night Even if the, the warden was, you know, a heart attack or whatever, 45 days later. So... Quote from the book, um, prison authorities allowed flogging of lifers who had nothing to lose by committing a crime in prison. It was the only way authorities felt they could curb prison violence. 
Today's standards prevent flogging as cruel and unusual punishment, and prison employees would be prosecuted for using this form of corporal punishment. Harper was put in solitary confinement, did not have contact with other prisoners, and was only allowed yard time one hour a day. After serving 17 consecutive years in solitary confinement, the most time ever in a Michigan prison, Harper was returned to the general population in 1938. So, I, I mean, if he did commit those rapes and things, and he was murder and a robber, I mean, right. I don't feel too bad for him. <laughs> correct, correct. <laughs> I'm not having much empathy for Gypsy Bob. (laughs) Um, And then in January 1953, at the age of 73, Gypsy Bob Harper complained of chest pains and was sent to the prison hospital where he died of a coronary occlusion shortly after arriving. It's not funny. He, I mean, well, not funny, funny, but. Yeah. uh, Ironic. I don't know if that's the word I want to use, that he died of the same thing as the prison warden that he attempted to kill. Yeah. Almost like karma. (laughs) Yeah. And then I did not know this until I was reading the book that, um, no, it wasn't even the book. I found a news story about Gypsy Bob being an artist while in prison. Um, And as of the story I found from 2020, the Besser Museum from Northeast Michigan. Oh, no. The Besser Museum for Northeast Michigan, located in Alpena, has two miniature canoe paddles painted by Harper. Huh. So if you want to see some prisoner art, <laughs> if it's still there, you go to that museum in Alpena. There you go. That's the story of Gypsy Bob. Yeah. I'm just still, I'm still a little hung up on the fact that they just, all they did was flog him for the death and the riot and just, I just, what? Flogging in 17 years of solitary confinement. Yeah, (laughs) true. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Sorry it's taken us so long. We're working on it. We're working on getting this back up and running. It's just... It's, it's been a year. <laughs> it has been a year. That's for sure. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. The music titled Teller of the Tales was provided by Kevin McLeod and can be found at incomtech.filmmusic.io.